0: trees and non-binaries to another episode of the hostile takeover the show where i adam Ray, the is a and a very special guest talk about our favorite things in the world of gaming pc console tabletop and everything in between for those of you regular listeners we want to thank you again to listening to us through our patreon support it really does mean everything to us here at fantastic universes as you well know of course patrons get early access to all of our written content as well as extended uninterrupted episodes of every podcast we produce but with that housekeeping, very quick and very easily brushed away, we want to say thank you again to the returning majesty of our founder and forger of a very dear and sister pod, uh, frontier in the world of TTRPG goodness, Essie of Aaron Spencer Productions, to once again find the fabulous foray of tabletop roleplay in and Dungeons and & Dragons to talk about some of the wacky and wild characters out there. But, but Essie, my good pal, how are you this eve? afternoon well thank
1: you for that thank you for that wonderful introduction i promise you i'm really not that cool
0: oh shush sure, sure. we've those who have been listening to our show long enough know that we have very similar tastes we're both very cultured we both have very similar ways into this world of uh Avengers and dragons and tabletop rpg we are we are cool people you you there <laughs> is no self-hate in my dojo okay maybe a little bit maybe a little exactly bit. <laughs> it. it's all good but how you doing I'm pretty good, and we do always talk about how we're slightly different
1: iterations of the same person.
0: We both just have good taste. We same both same mindset. Great minds and something something. Hmm. Yes, something something. Great minds. Yes, yeah, something something. Great minds. <laughs> <laughs> I I try not to use idioms like that. They are uh I retained from my uh, literature degree. They are bad for English because they don't breed originality in terms of phrase. But uh, that's kind of a hot agreed. Take hot take but it's one i i agree with but uh
1: no 100 percent, and they're so easy to fall into i always try to stop myself every time i'm about to go into one
0: good i think that's the way because uh <laughs> as us writers we have to uh try and breathe some originality into it because everyone and everything we should say should at least strive to be a little bit unique and a little bit different as is all of the people out there in the world both are real and fictional. So, as you would have seen on the title, today's episode is all about non-player characters (NPC) design and creation and construction, because we are seasoned game masters. SEO, we not? I would say we are. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> uh, like whether it's like my extensive tenure across like multiple versions of Dungeons and Dragons and your on-screen streamed experience, we've turned our attention to breathing stories to life through our narratives. So it's important to know where the characters that the players interact with come from. There's to my mind, at least two grand extremes. There are those that you sit down and plan because, you know, they're going to be integral Mm -hmm. and key to the story. And then there's just going to be the dude on the street that they bump into and have some idle chatter with just to get some context that may be developed later or may just be forgotten. But to my mind, both of those are equally important but it's very hard to cre- get that balance and creation going. So I would love to hear your insights in the nipples. Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: and that, that one note character that we were just getting into before we jumped into recording and you were like, hold that thought, hold that thought, was a one note character from the one shot that we just recorded yesterday with our friends at World Building Weirdos. And it was an improv character, totally on the spot, but One thing that I always have in the back of my mind, especially if I'm doing a one-shot or if I'm starting a new campaign, is how do I make this world feel alive? Because one of the old pitfalls I think that we can all fall into is the world feeling a little stale, feeling like the characters are the only people in it. And I think one thing that a lot of Dungeon Masters and GMs and other systems overlook is... Not putting those little tiny one note flavor elements into the story, like the fairy who is a tavern tavern maid who is buzzing around at top speed, sweating a little bit, a little sassy, and just say "Hey, here's your here's your ale," or the herring gun that we had at the general goods store in the craftsman's hall, who was known for efficiency, who every time the characters ordered something. From the general goods vendor or the hiring guy would <laughs> zip back and forth and then slam it on the table and hop away before they could get a chance to say thank you. I'm like they're gone. They're already they're already gone off to the next customer. Little things like that. And then everyone's favorite from last night was a recurring, otherwise one-off character that was a very large fur furbolg <clears throat> with a sweet tooth. And when they first bumped into the fur the characters had stopped and they said let's get a little cinnamon roll on the way there. Let's get something sweet. So one of the characters was very adamant about stopping for their cinnamon roll. So they went through that, and as they were walking out on their quest into the mushroom forest to try to figure out the source of why the mushroom forest was being corrupted, right? Pretty standard D&D fare. Walking along towards the outskirts of the city, as they were passing the center of the city, this furbug walks by and just... Oh, what you got there? That's a uh, little, little Pumat Soul, a little bit from Critical Role. Definitely took inspiration there for the voice. Tried to make it a little bit my own, but inevitably, it, it the, the, voice segued into Pumat Soul inevitably. In my mind, but... I feel that
0: <laughs> if there's some sort of weird an- analogy that like high elves are like discerning British and dwarves speaking the classical Scottish brogue, can we yeah. make Ferbos Canadian? Can we just do that? Can we agree as a player base <laughs> that that's a thing? Canadian and or US Midwestern. Roughly they're about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they, they they feel like that. They like they extend their oars and they have a little bit of a natural little to them. But then again, for me that starts to go into mm-hmm. Irish, which is very hard to balance.
1: Right. Accents are, are really hard, y'all, but that's a
0: totally different story. A totally different story for another podcast. <laughs> oh, potentially. That'd be good. It could be an extension to this one of how you had to play them, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The, or at more... least
1: a sidebar, right. Yeah. So as they were walking Towards the or through the center of the city, this Frobog stopped and oh yeah, where'd you get that cinnamon roll? I, I, and of course, they had a very disapproving Harringon partner behind them. Was very well dressed in a blue lacy dress with white frilled uh, sleeves, and their Harringon partner just going kind of cross their arms and let out a heavy sigh. And the furbog
0: just, just kind of just got the the significance get... <laughs> of the harrington in the blues. He's late. He's late for a very important date. From alice in wonderland i didn't even think of that sure yeah <laughs> what that's so, <laughs> we're adding that's layers so, that's so good so
1: good yeah i I, w- I would love to take credit for that but i would be a liar if i did it just kind of happened that
0: way maybe maybe it was a, a subconscious thing with freud something something freud <laughs> Freud and lewis carroll uh yeah I, I mean like i would i would love to believe that i'm gonna choose to believe that but uh but it's just like those moments that just create the characters so clearly that they could have been pulled from somewhere else or not, but it doesn't necessarily matter. It's just that there's something so clear about that visual that it's just like, yes, it's so satisfying and nice. Right. And on the way back, they saw him again.
1: And he's like, oh, thanks for the cinnamon roll. And they were like, hey, we can't talk. Where We have to go. And he's like, yeah, you might want to go check out what's going on in the beach there. They were getting a little distracted, so I used this character as sort of someone that they had liked, and they had generally shown and expressed that they, hey, I really like that Frohbog who was, you know, looking for a cinnamon roll with a disproving Harringen partner. So on the way back, I used that same NPC to get them back on track because it was a one-shot, and, uh, you know, you might want to go check out the beach there. There's something, something, a brew in there, some kind of trouble. Everyone's, I'm going to go down there and check it out. Why don't you come with me? So that got the characters back on track and then when they came back a third time an hour later he had a box of cupcakes and they were all considering let's uh you know let's stop somewhere to eat and The fur bloke said, oh, you're with the Chicliocra, the warrior cast, right? You're working on this, uh, all this craziness that's happening. Why don't you just take my box of cupcakes so you can get back to your work? And I use this recurring character to keep them on track in a way that everybody absolutely just ate it up and loved. And then I described the cupcakes as honey and vanilla with vanilla frosting sprinkled with rainbow glitter and sprinkles with a cherry on top and cream filling in the middle. And everybody was just drooling on camera and as he gave the box he said yeah take it he's like i think my partner was a little upset that i had a cinnamon roll and a box of cupcakes today and then the harangon who was previously disapproving both times had kind of rolled her eyes same folded arms she just gave a little nod of approval to the characters and a little thank you uh, for kind of goading him to giving up his sweets because she's not, she's concerned with his health. And he even said that he's like, you know, my partner's a little concerned for me and too much sugar. So, uh, you know, I'll probably do a good here and get some extra points with the missus. So go ahead and take the cupcake. Just this one little character became everybody's favorite. Like everybody was talking about that was their favorite character at the end of the one shot. And they want to see more of the furball with the sweet tooth and his disapproving Harangon partner. It was great, but little things like that. That's that's the improv element, and it's the little details that matter, that make the world that you're in just feel vibrant and alive.
0: Being able to... Uh, well, I think when it comes to an improved NPC like that, I think you need to have the, the ability to just drum up race, class if necessary then one key thing. I think this is like the, the sort of nugget of just sort of thing that on the fly M- NPC just like to have the one key thing that you can just sort of like def- build their personality around. Sort of like how they can sort of go about it and go uh, go along with it so that they can interact with the party further so that they can do whatever you need them to do within the context of the story. So you had uh, uh, Snack's friend here sort of help guide them right. back onto the story. But uh, it was done in a delightful, caring way because you can't yes. out- help feel like charmed along by someone who has the same pumat style sort of like charming joy as well as someone who's just like oh there's like a snack that's that's relatable I love that there's a you can't hate them for like not it's very hard to naturally nudge players back onto like a prescribed plan for obsession yep. but there are ways to definitely do it and having someone charming to sort of like nudge and generally sort of suggest <laughs> yeah is the way to do it and zeroing in on the the sweet, sweet snack sort of, like, appreciation is definitely the way to go. Like, and really it felt natural.
1: Yeah, exactly. It felt so natural because there was a commotion happening down at the beach, which was the next phase of the story. And I described initially just a large crowd of people speed walking jogging down to the beach to get a view of what was happening. And the party was like, you know, let's get a little bit off the rails. And because it was a one shot, I think not only getting the back on track, but what really sold them on the world was bumping into that, that Frobo again. And him being like, wait, where are you going? There's a, there's a big commotion down over there. You want to come with me? I'm heading that way myself. And they were just, I don't know why he was Texas at the end there for a second, but they were like, yeah, yeah. This is our Frobo friend. Let's let, let, let's go and check out what's going on at the beach. But I did want to comment on something that you said just now. I would even argue that rather than race, class, and a quirk, that describing the race and then a the quirk is much more important than a class because there is yeah, that whole say, discussion that i've seen I, on yeah, that's why youtube why I many times if necessary yeah. like if there's yes like, okay yeah
0: like if they're uh if they're in someone holy then like maybe coming up with like a, t- a cleric domain or like a paladin mm-hmm. like oath is yeah. necessary if they're in like a university is this like are they a scholar of this kind of magic or this kind of history so like having that detail in the back of your head so that they can there's a bit of context if the players want to talk to them more but like it's not super necessary, just like uh the race and like a clear visual so that the players can construct a good picture in their mind and then the quirk that sort of like defines the personality and how they'll interact with however many scenes you need them. Uh yeah. That, and like, another go ahead. Yeah, those that kind of uh directing and like shifting back on track MPC, just like the one to sort of keep things moving, especially for a one shot, is definitely helpful just to be like approachable and nice and it's Something mm-hmm. definitely sounds like you got really down with the uh, uh, snacks friend here, yeah, well, in that
1: same vein of NPC structure, and I believe d and d Beyond has talked about this on their podcast video series many times before those quirks and adding just depth to an NPC, another perfect example where I could watch the players be sold on the world. You can see it happen at your table, whether you're virtual or in person. they were meeting Grissombergoich one of the most memorable NPCs in part one of our heaven's fire playtest campaign, our mini campaign, who was the law master of Bastion's hold and they met him. And I, I just, I was dropping hints that there was some sort of extracurricular activity that he was interested in. He kept talking about wanting to go back to the tavern and making sure he wasn't late. And he mentioned open mic night at one point uh, or open, uh, open stage night. And, You could see everyone just in that little tiny detail, everyone kind of perked up. And there was a series of persuasion checks because he was very shy about opening up. And eventually it turns out that he's a poet and he likes to write epic love poetry and just is a hopeless romantic. And everybody was you could see everybody sold on the world and they were trying to encourage him to write more poetry and they were wanting to read his poetry. And they're like, how is it? Is it actually good? Can we can we make a date with this guy to come see him at a poetry reading? And you could watch just the that moment where you finally just, they have bought in to your world. And I saw it happen. And those little moments are really what, what makes it or it could be something as simple as the same situation. I saw that aha moment where they get sold in a Waterdeep Dragon Heist scenario when they were just walking down the street and I was describing the vendors. You have a vendor selling roses, you have a vendor selling trinkets, and there's a, a vendor selling stew. And it smells delicious and it's bread bowl stew. And everybody went, oh, And they all immediately flocked over and every single person in the party bought bread bowl stew and they were walking and eating and looking at the sights of the City of Splendors with their bread bowl. They were just commenting on how good the bread bowl was. And in that moment, again, same thing. You can see, like, snap your fingers, they're sold, they're in it from a bread bowl vendor, right?
0: Definitely reminds me of... um... An NPC I've recycled at least once in my own writing, but that, <laughs> like owing back to the uh, very tall, very strange-haired Northern England chap that I started D and D with way back when. Um, just the clear visual of this like haggard shopkeeper, and he's been the shopkeeper for multiple places. I he may be like an extra-dimensional being in my in my setting who just likes to run various <laughs> shops everywhere, but just um, the figure of this haggard human who would accept whatever was going, would just sort of lead you around the store a little bit overly friendly used car salesman energy, and would like pick up the items that he's holding. And if you weren't interested, would sort of fling them away without any interest, but they would always land neatly on the counter. They would never be damaged. They would just like he was fling like heavy cages, really intricate clocks. They would just go flying, but they would land perfectly. And whenever the, the <laughs> players bought something, he would take their gold counter out and then ting 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 flick them perfectly and they would land in the chest across the counter and then the last one would hit the top of the chest fall in and they would close the chest for me. just the ability just to randomly fling stuff anywhere i think it was a testament to the, the the game master at the time being able to like fling the story details out of anywhere but uh Just the clear visual of something so out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. just to make it memorable is a very hard thing to do on the fly. But when it's done well, it's something I'm still talking about Ooh, well, well over five years later.
1: Another thing I want to talk about, which I think I'll see the light bulb go off as I mention it, NPCs based on real life people. Interesting. Is another way to do that.
0: We've and, had a little talk about this in terms of some of your uh, antagonists in previous episodes, but uh, that'll be interesting yes. to sort of unpack here.
1: Well, your your shop uh, shopkeeper with the fling and the gold coins and that very distinct personality reminded me of Samantha Palin, who is the magic shop owner. Similar, but Samantha Palin was based on Sarah Palin, which is a parody of itself from the uh, the US Tea Party. Uh, she was a candidate for vice president at one time, a little little her mannerisms and the things she said were a little bit silly i think is the best way to describe that and still say neutral but she had a famous quote about being able to see alaska from her house so the first thing i i do when i introduce new characters in our long-running home game on mondays which is now at level 13 approaching level 14 is whenever they go to the magic shop to meet samantha palin everyone's like you got to meet samantha you have to come meet samantha she's awesome." And they go in, and she's just another one of those Midwestern accents over there, don't you know? And uh, uh, welcome back to the Timelessly Turning Wheel in the fabulous North Ward here on Waterdeep. And uh fun fact about me, the centaurum paid for my new estate. And it's so close to the ocean there that I can see the Munchai Isles from my balcony, I can. And everyone is just, oh, no. But they end up, they end up really just loving her because she's just super nice. And she's she's a magic shop owner. So she, in a way is also kind of conservative and she's very much invested in this entire takeover of Waterdeep because it means more money, more clientele for the military. She's kind of getting into the military industrial complex, but the medieval version in a way, <laughs> and it brings up all kinds of other real world parallels that people have a little bit, you know, they can see like, Oh, I know where this is going. I, I I, I get you, Samantha Palin. I get what's going on here. I know what's up. But yeah. she has she has a, a terribly overworked assistant who gets better and better every time they show up. And the assistant Maria went from being a nervous wreck and sweating bullets trying to trying to keep up with the demands for writing out proof of purchase receipts and organizing the different receipts into different folders by category of magic items to immediately being like boom 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 you want this book you want this book here's a receipt and everyone is really invested in maria's development as to see how much better she's going to be when they show up because she started as just kind of a failure of a a, a black hand battle mage that the archmage nascar's felcar was like yeah why don't you just go in and work at the magic shop it's kind of your forte you're more of an enchanter than uh than an actual battle mage. And they kind of stuck her there to get her out of the way, but now she's like a staple of the timelessly turning wheel and is one of probably the most influential people in Waterdeep now.
0: Wow. It's good yeah. to see that like someone that started off as like a comparison a comparison characters ended up having some real growth and depth. It's a yeah. Nice thing to be able to see if you like with consistent play and repeating the same characters. It's it's nice, it's very fulfilling. It reminds me of of the some of the characters we've sort of dealt with in my own setting i'm just trying to think of mm-hmm. someone that i wanted to No, if we're talking about characters based on other people i've I've got a, an excellent example all back, right what you got back when i used to <laughs> work excited. back when i used to work in an office uh mm-hmm. um there's a very charm there was a very charming uh silver-haired guy down down the office i won't i won't say I- irl names because this is a person i know haven't seen in a while but obviously but fair enough just a dear friend um, very nice man, very softly spoken. Uh, uh, English, of course, and he just very offhandedly suggested, like, oh, so much easier for like living in Harry Potter. I could be like, po- I could be like a potions master or something. And he changed his name around, and then said, talked about being a potions master. And I thought about it for a second, and then all of a sudden, given the tone of the name that he said, Krog Fobkins. That doesn't sound especially uh, humanoid to me. So you probably, uh, if you've seen any of uh, No Ordinary Heroes' play of uh, their recent campaign, they interacted quite heavily with Fopkins, the Potion Master, and I wanted to play with the trope that all giant types are stupid. They're not. They could be. They often are. But the ones that everyone assumes are stupid would be the Cyclops. So the visual of the party going into a very large Laboratory at the start of the campaign to see a, to feel themselves like like Gargantua and Lilliput sort of deal, just them sort of overshadowed by huge towers of tables and like Erlenmeyer flasks that you could climb inside. They instead found themselves to be tiny, but there was a very erist, a very astute Cyclops with a single glass over the frames going over his uh, over his one good eye mixing potions mm-hmm. for the king and the royal court Fopkins, the potions master so but he had the exact same mannerisms of my former colleague he was still very very softly spoken and he uh he just did what he could he handed out his wares to to those who needed it and wanted to help out as best as he could he was a he was a good guy he understood you yeah. uh, <laughs> and that
1: and he was a cyclops
0: he was a cyclops he still is that's he's amazing a, he's a that's very, amazing i wanted to like Put my own spin on trying to change what people expect from certain mm-hmm. kinds of fantastical monster. To a, just to yep. make something that's like assumed as chaotic evil as as bad as a tro- as a bad as a type that might be, into someone of like a a well meaning place in society and someone who has like a an advanced degree in a very difficult form of arcane science. It was something that I wanted to have a lot of fun to play with, but while still honoring a dear friend and he. Uh, the the co-worker now still knows that the character exists and would like him to remain somewhat astute and heroic, and I will aim to do just that. I love
1: that. It's always nice when you get some validation about NPCs that are inspired by real-life folks, especially folks that are more directly involved in your life.
0: They deserve to know that their their stories are remembered and that they... uh, (coughs) there's a lot of love there and a lot of appreciation that they truly need to be remembered like that it's yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun and I'm uh, I'm glad he's a character I'm still really fond of
1: oh yeah we had um a ship captain character that was a Centarum ship captain and she was a party animal and everyone was like who is this wild woman coming in here and and causing so much chaos and she was based on my IRL friend. Jessica who is also kind of a wild party woman she's like the party girl so the one time when we all met up together i was like oh hey you're going to meet this npc tonight and when she showed up and she had me shooting nips in the restaurant and and adding it to the to the drinks and taking me outside to talk about the hot gossip and uh this i don't usually smoke cigarettes but i do when i'm with her apparently because she's like yeah like just this wild chaotic energy and she was kind of like, oh I'm an NPC. Cool. You know, like eh, whatever. But the other NPC that comes to mind as far as just a silly memorable NPC, I it was inspired by a one-off a one-off reference from the movie Mystery Team, which was one of Donald Glover's first films. Oh wow. Yeah. And if not his first film, and it was Donald Glover and Aubrey Plaza. And it was about these kids in in senior year of high school who were solving mysteries a la, you know, mid nineties, like they were, you know, nine, 10 or 11 again. And everyone was like, grow up. Like, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Like you're adults now. But in that movie, Donald Glover trying to infiltrate a corporate party shows up as Juan the plumber, but uses an Italian accent from which is basically just Mario. (laughs) So I took that character. It was uh, who was Juan the plumber, and I transferred that that one Donald Glover reference from Mystery Team into our Monday home game and our Friday at the time our Friday home game, both set in the same Sword Coast Sword Coast alternate universe. And it is Hugh Mann, which is also a Futurama mm. reference. And Hugh Mann was just a terrible, a terrible, well-meaning doppelganger who was kind of just always where the party was. So they started bringing him beers and asking him questions. And in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there is a one of the most popular features of Dragon Heist or one of the most well-known features is that the party opens their own tavern. Yep. And part of that is getting, the, is getting the pipes inspected. And I had that same character show up again to check the pipes. And when they were like, oh, it's Hugh, who is just, his mustache is always just kind of falling off to the side and he has to always fix the fake mustache and just a very poorly held together doppelganger. <laughs> but he tries very hard and he just wants to be a good friend. But he showed up and they were like "Hugh" and he goes "Hello, I am Hugh. Hugh Man. I come to fix your pipes." And <laughs> that one, that one silly reference from Mystery Team which is exactly how Donald Glover played that scene in Mystery Team bringing that Futurama X Mystery Team reference into here. Everyone is like, "Oh, it's Hugh Man here." And every time he shows up they're like, "Hey, it's Hugh. It's our favorite oh, NPC." Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. And uh
1: One of our NPCs, one of our characters met him for the first time, and she was like, dude, your mustache, the whole thing's falling apart, and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) So adjusting (laughs) it, adjusting his very real mustache that he grew himself, of course. Yep, exactly. Oh man, like the visual of that character just reminds me of Steve Buscemi's, "How, how, how do you do, fellow kids? yes exactly same energy that same energy but then again if we're going to talk about like random like actor inserts Mm. this reminds me of the only session i ever ran in ravnica i ran the one shot in the guild guide the krenko one yes Yep. Uh, yeah that's a fun adventure and it is i played that it's great yeah and uh the party the, the players i sat down with to do it were great because there was one person who like really knew Ravnica about as well as I did, but also knew D and D well well, and was playing a demir agent and went off on their own just to do lots of very strange mm-hmm. investigation, like changing their shape, infiltrating like the Gruul clans that I mm-hmm. happened to introduce. Like they did some shamanic rituals, which I gave some teasers for future campaign arcs that I would want to run in Ravnica and could still run if I found a table and free time to play. I cry every time, but. When it got to the end of the episode, the end of the session, and they encountered Krenko in that warehouse, I don't know where this came from, but I stand by it. They encountered Krenko there at the desk, and Krenko's a very iconic character in Magic. The original Krenko card is a staple for like combo-y goblin decks. I love Krenko. It's an old, old favorite, and then the new printing is just like super aggressive to just flood the board with goblins. But they went up to him, and... Uh, one of the party members was a goblin, was a is it Lee goblin? Mm-hmm. Just went and interacted with nice. him and said, said oh, All right, Krenko, just like here for some business. And I don't know why I just look, I just like get into character and he's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the goblin just goes up. So the go goes up to Krenko and just says, I'm here for some business. And he goes, All mm-hmm. right, all right, all right. And continues to talk in the draw. So he's. Mm-hmm given deep and philosophical wisdom while he's in inner yeah oh, that's wild and i it confuses everyone else who wasn't there but i have a goblin's commander deck so i'm just going to be like all right i'll play matthew mcconaughey and i'll play this and i'll play the war of the spark matthew McConaughey. <laughs> why are you calling him that you weren't there <laughs> you don't understand it's all that's right awesome. all right all right.
1: and the beauty of dnd and i'm going to talk about an npc that i interacted with as a player Cranko. And in our version of that, we met Krenko, and rather than Matthew McConaughey, the music changed as we, we were taken to Krenko's estate first. So Krenko was the, was the quest giver, and it was a separate map that our DM, Jessica, from the Discord had, had brought in. I think it was from Afternoon Maps, but she had this manor, and we met Krenko, and we all kind of looked at each other and, is the music changing? And it was music from the Godfather and this oh goblin God. kind of comes out from up the stairs with a cane and the Godfather music is playing. And he's like, yeah, welcome to uh, my estate, make yourself at home. And uh, let me pour you a glass of let me, pour you a glass of whiskey or rum, whatever your poison is. And the Godfather music was swelling and he's like, why don't you sit down and uh, yeah, I'm going to make you an offer or two. And we'll discuss whether or not you want to accept it. And uh, you know, I'll take you into my wing. Thank you, After so all, I'm, you a, can't I'm a man of knowledge. And uh, uh I have some very interesting questions for all of you. And sent us to go and take care of the Shattergang brothers at the warehouse, which was an awesome fight because you got the dude right. with the flamethrower. And it was just banana hands. We went to the Shattergang warehouse, defeated the Gang brothers, came back, and everyone's like, let's go see Krenko. Krenko is our dad now.
0: It's our dad now. Yeah. While, I'm, while I'm very <laughs> attached. Well I'm very attached to my Matthew McConaughey like sort of take that like Don Corleone, like Marlon Brando uh, yep. Colin Farrell as the penguin <laughs> if anyone's not seen The Batman yet his rendition of the I penguin have not is, yet. <laughs> his rendition of the penguin is perfect but then again I heard Ma- it's good. Oh it's we'll talk about this after but i will still stand on it. my i'll stand on my hill and say that it is the best on-screen batman but we'll talk about it after uh, oh I'm, okay <laughs> i am around a batman a lot i have a lot of hot takes but i can stand by them because i i'm around batman a lot classic mafioso type while it's a bit of a generalization it's still such a fun one to sort of put onto put yep. into characters of that of of that trope and it's so, it's so satisfying. Like, I'm very attached to Matthew McConaughey, but that's still a, a great vision to see there. It, it
1: was a masterpiece. That is everyone's favorite NPC, and everyone always tells Jessica, Cranko is just Chef's Kiss hmm. 100%. It's just so perfect. And just the way that she described him coming up the steps with a cane, it was just, oh, everybody in that party would do anything for Goblin Dad. Okay. <laughs>
0: First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the knight. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Madbub, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, there. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the battle nuts. I definitely do not fuck that In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm, educational and informative. called a geek comes with a certain image there is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story
1: my dad was the one who got me into star wars and things
0: join me your super dummy Paul as i continue my learning experience and talk to the real people i'm a secondary school teacher so i teach 11 to 16 year olds in english hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes it's one of them like you've ever going to grow up and I'm like no why should i i, I like my life I, I enjoy what i do this is my hobby available on all your favorite podcast catchers Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But I'll just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts so um can i go now let him go he did everything you asked
1: podcast
0: catcher okay so we've sort of branched into like our off-the-cuff npcs are just like trying to find a race a visual and their quirks Mm -hmm. into like some of the more established ones that we've had in our one-shot games and that we've sort of like grown through and then sort of mirrored off of it and then we come to our our campaign npcs and this is what i think is gonna be a little bit of a meaty thing because when it comes to like planning long and ongoing narratives um i put a lot of my own like writery chops and beliefs onto it that i'd like to sort of create a somewhat psychological flame framework around characters like the the dungeon master's guide is very good for this being able to think up ideals blondes and flaws their motives for how that npc would operate within the confines of the wider story i find very helpful and if uh, any game master has the time to put that kind of preparation in for someone that will be important to multiple sessions and multiple arcs of your campaign, it's definitely a helpful thing to do. But uh, what are your takes on long form NPC generation for those those big characters that are going to have like the story sort of like hinge around them, dishing out quests or being an antagonist to the players?
1: So the first thing that I want to talk about in this broader scope is the DMPC, because there is a lot of hot takes on that is the dmpc a good a, a net good or just something that you should never do and i hear all kinds of arguments and people get really really passionate about the dmpc but what i did in our heavens fire beta ca- beta campaign which everybody seems to absolutely love this npc and across all of my games it's consistent a dmpc should be not quite subservient, but should defer to the characters, should be familiar. So RDMPC, the Marshal, Marshal Arelina Sorkelin. She's a member of the Voscratoria, who is the the entity that they are serving. So she's there representing the Queen's realm, the Voscratoria, kind of keeping them a little bit on track, but only if they if they ask her or if they go way off the rails, she might recommend a course of action. In line with The original quest so the dmnpcs that one of the most important things there's like a few set of very important things that you have to do for dmpcs to be likable dare i say even lovable endearing and useful and not tacky one is is if you're going to metagame metagame only by reminding them of the quests they already have which is not really metagaming it's just more of I think it's a useful tool because sometimes parties can get way off the rails. And if you have someone who represents the interests of the people that they were hired by to say, hey, should they don't have to, but they have that person where they're like, yeah, and it's not overbearing and it's just that little reminder. And if they decide, yeah, oh, we're going to go this way, the marshal would be on board. Like, all right, cool. You're the boss type of thing. And the second part of that is to have the PC defer to the party in all things, say, you're the boss, I'm here for you, I'm here to support you, and they really appreciate that, and have have something that is specific, that's not useful in in every situation, but that if they need it, they can be like, oh, oh, we have the marshal, marshal, can you come over here and push this block, because we're all, like, kind of scrawny casters, and we don't, none of us have the brawn to push a big granite block, and I modeled her after Scorpia from She-Ra, so she's a hugger, She's a hugger, she's very friendly, group hugs all the time, just bubbly personality and happy to flex that muscle, right? She's a little bit, all right, you know, it's her time to shine. She comes over and she is ecstatic to push that granite block. And everyone's like, yeah, the marshal! And she's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then she goes back to hitting things with her hammer, right? And there's been so many times where in that same situation our other less less beefy or you know less muscular players have been like hey hey marshall can you just like stand in front and she's like oh okay yeah there you go (laughs) and they kind of push her down the hallway a little bit but not like they don't want to sacrifice her but if they're going into a room together and that's the other thing is when you make them endearing they would rather send the they would much rather send the skeleton that 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 the that the necromancer sends down the hallway than then send the marshal because they're like, yeah, the marshal's going to go first, but she's going to stay with us. She's a part of our team. She's a part of the family. So she's just going to stand at, at, there you go, stand right in the front of the party and, and we'll be right next to you. And they, and they are, but uh, to have that meat shield, they really, really appreciated uh, appreciated her. In higher level play, I allow them to hire NPCs. I say, okay, you can hire one of the NPCs to take with you because you're such well-renowned heroes. And these NPCs helped you when you were lower level. Now you can kind of bring them along and mentor them a little bit and have that extra supplement to help you. And I always give them the option. And nine times out of 10, I find that they're going to take it. And all of my DM NPCs, all of my companions or sidekicks pick a trope, pick a character, fictional or otherwise, have them be that trope. It's simple. And that situation, the trope works perfectly. They say, ah, oh, we have the, you know, this trope or our Ooth Guardian viking in the monday game she's going to be the uh the brash kind of butchy femme uh forged lesbian type of thing and bringing her along they know they're going to have that meat shield too and they're like yeah let's take let's take the viking we're going to take the viking lady so we can put her in front of everything and have her get big big woman and she can take the hits but that's their choice and they get to they get to to decide but that's, I, I want to let you respond to the DMPC before we go into bigger kind of quest yeah. givers and things like that. But I uh, wanted to at least mention the DMNPC.
0: No, the DMP, the DMPC is something I, is a concept that I have used. It's one that I kind of forgotten that existed. Mm, uh, yeah. is something, but it is very, it's very valid. It's a, it is a hot take. Um, oh, and don't but, take uh, the loot. Never take loot. No, no, never take loot. No, 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 no. Yep. Um... I was very fortunate in the the one and only time I'd ever used it. It was something I was aware of, but by sheer virtue, I had somehow naturally done all of the things you have just listed. They, Mm -hmm. they gave an opinion, they gave opinions, but there was always opinions that were just like feeding back into the main quest. Yes, exactly. They were always um, just like trying to direct the narrative and just like be there, be helpful, but not like sway opinions or persuade or just like instigate. They were there to sort of persuade and help things along. It was with a uh, campaign one of the lovely ladies of no ordinary heroes. Um, mm-hmm. It was the loving boyfriend of Rene's character. Jack. Oh, okay. It was a uh, he was he was um, Jackson, a cleric to a cleric to ba- a tiefling cleric to Bahamut, who had lost his arm in a in a scuffle with her Machiavellian, mischievous Briarwood esque parents. Um.
1: Love the prior words. Oh yeah, yeah. We but, stand. Yeah. We stand but, vampire
0: mom. We stand we necromancer we, mommy. We, we stand uh insidious untrustworthy power couple with uh, huge political <laughs> ties and just yep. like dark intent. But uh mm-hmm. he had come away from that side of things and lost his right arm in the scuffle, but uh the whole time I'm really glad that I was able to pull this off without it seeming like right or uh destructive. There was a lot of it was It was very clear that there was a lot of love between the two of them, and there was a lot of trust within the party as a whole, but there was also just that one certainty of just, like, it is too good for him to be true, for him to have been basically back from the dead. How is he here? Is he real? Is he a spy? Is he this? Is he that? But there was still enough trust and movement of him just staying to the task and staying to the quest that there wasn't really a lot of pause or... Moments for them to sort of naturally question it. The, the the show was going on, as it were. So much so that when it came to the final confrontation, I, I always remember what um uh, Rene's character's father said. The best spies are the ones that don't need to be paid and the ones that don't need to be hired. And from within a fold in his cloak pulls out a wizened, pickled right arm that they had been using to scry through. Mm-hmm. That was previously okay. his arm that had been severed. So, oh wow
1: okay that's
0: wild <laughs> yeah uh they they were they were bad people they they were mm. justifiably destroyed but in any case the like the monday of it, group yeah the intent <laughs> of the i i wouldn't mind it it's sorely needed but um the intent of a dmpc just being there to be an extra force an extra voice but one mm-hmm. that defers to the actual physical players and never gives big opinions is crucial. And it's a very hard line to toe, but if you're able to do it well within the con- the context of the group, it can be useful. But it's it's a very fringe case where it is useful. M- the majority of the time, it should be just the players feeding back into whatever story they're being delivered from the from the game master.
1: I think, as far as a broader topic of beyond DM NPCs for the hinge NPCs. I was racking my brain trying to think. And I think my answer has always been consistent, whether it's an antagonist or whether it's a major, powerful, recurring quest giver. Sometimes they are one in the same. Yes. Which is another interesting take on that. But the simple answer, and then I will defer to you, is that all you got to do is have them flex a little bit. And that solves that, just works so. So well as a narrative device in D and D, for example, in our one shots, our little individual one shots that we did before Heaven's Fire, with Renee and with Avalon, they were hunting down Eldritch horrors, and they unleashed something that was way beyond them. At level two, they unleashed a lesser Star Spawn emissary and a bunch of Quasits, uh... and they were like, "We are screwed." But then the NPCs that they had met before who are members of the secret organization known as the Dragon Keepers, the Aeroth to Call, who are just kind of scary. And everybody was kind of deferring to them on the boat. And everybody was, oh, the Dragon Keepers are here. And they're like, you know, who are these people, right? Your first, is like, who are they? You know, these people probably ate shit, you know, or something like that. Or are they all talk? And a lot of times, especially maybe because it's our reality that we live in, where very powerful people sometimes don't live up to the legends vladimir Zelensky is like the exception because the last time uh the last time that we actually had a a a governmental leader fight in a war was in in our history in the u.s was george washington actually i think in general the last time a leader fought in a war was george washington in the united states
0: that's what i keep hearing or that the last time a leader fought on the front lines that can't be right i believe you you're a student of history i fully believe you but that can't be right seriously
1: but there's Napoleon of course.
0: Yeah. I think I think
1: it's specifically referring to US history.
0: Yeah, within US history that adds up. Yeah. And it would have been um, like Napoleon. Were... yeah, who would have been Napoleon, but yeah.
1: I- I'm sure there were I'm sure there were plenty more uh, throughout central european's history and uh, other parts of the world, but I believe specifically in terms of US history the last the last world the last major leader to fight in on the front lines of a war was uh, George Washington, but mid Europe and Napoleon and other uh, historical leaders aside, that's that's awesome, right? Think to actually see somebody on the front lines and that sort of thing. But to just flex a little bit and to have these dragon keepers, these members of the Eroth to call, like, oh, you know, they're kind of in, in the cargo hold, sticking to themselves, all secrety and shadowy, and, you know, maybe we can take them. That sort of a thing. Had them show up without without a description of how they got from the ship to the island. Spoiler, they used the fly spell. But they just kind of showed up and just absolutely started dropping seventh, eighth, ninth level spells, and the both Avalon and Renee were like, "Holy shit, what what uh like they were doing disintegrate and uh all kinds of other nonsense right all kinds of other fire spells, and they were like, "Whoa, and fighting side by side with the leader of the dragon keepers who had kind of like a repurposed infinity gauntlet more of just. Like a focus. It was like it, just an enhanced spell casting focus that has some some pretty powerful aspects to it as a magical item. And then the second in command of the Dragon Keepers, Alessia von Macht, and having them fight side by side with the party and the party throw in everything they have at this lesser Star Spawn emissary, trying to send them back to the abyss and. In that moment, they were like, wow, these people are really powerful. They're using like seventh, eighth level spells. We don't want to mess with them. And then you start dropping things along the lines of their personality. And by the end, Renee was justified in her saying, wow, this guy kind of gives me, this guy rubs me the wrong way. Like 100% of everything he's saying is real weird. And there's something sinister going on here but we can't do anything because this guy can wipe us out with a snap of a finger. And just that intrigue, it just builds so much hype. And exactly that, it builds intrigue for the rest of the campaign. And when you have someone in a position of power who can give quests and who can question the party's loyalty, it adds that layer of tension that you can't get from any other way other than flexing. Yeah, And that's that's going to be my answer for for that is just going to be in that situation for a hinge or for an antagonist or for a hinge slash antagonist, hit him with the flex, show a little flex, have them disintegrate somebody and then just be like, (laughs) see the reactions on your players faces.
0: Yep. That's definitely a satisfying like plot twist kind of show of power to be like, wow, they can do that. They, whether we like them or not, we have to take them seriously. And it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a thing that they have to really take note of, but, uh, Yeah, those big picture NPCs do really set the tone for whole campaigns. And I've addressed it briefly that how I want to just sort of go about creating them. But uh, uh, what's your would you say you have a process or what are your what's your thoughts on building someone big and serial for a long going campaign?
1: Oh, I I always reverse engineer. That was something that I learned. In high school. And in in my first year of college was if you're writing if you're writing a narrative, you always start at the end. And George Lucas did that. Peter Jackson does that. Tolkien did that. Right, that kind of went on the same. There is start start with a general concept of of the big picture, the ending, and then reverse engineer your way back from from there. And for *Heaven's Fire* specifically, for something that you're creating entirely from scratch, the vision that I had was. Just these was very meta-human, but in a and D way. So meta D and D races. It was very much sort of very. It, well, it's not it's not humanist because that's because it's all different races, but evolution and progress and not quite Phyrexian, but enhancement and advancement and just taking the races of D&D to the next level of evolution, crossbreeding with different powerful, famous D&D monsters, sort of geneticism, but for progress and improvement, even though the methods may be questionable and there's the moral quandary there. But the, the end goal was to have this kind of like a mad scientist character who was also a very powerful spellcaster, whose goal was to improve the world by making the people of the world the strongest entity so that they wouldn't have to rely on the gods. They wouldn't have to rely on fate. They wouldn't have to be at the whims of the weather, natural disasters, that they would evolve to the point of perfection, very Magneto-like. Magneto has always been one of my favorite characters and is a huge inspiration for this antagonist. And having that wanting to enhance and and welcoming flaws and welcoming mutations and that whole join us and let's make you perfect, let's make you better, that perfection type of thing. And all of the moral quandary that goes along with the experimentation that takes to build a perfect hybrid dragonborn or a perfect half elf half whatever half dragon something like that and that's that's how i i did that character so a little bit of of a little bit of inspiration from pop culture a little bit of inspiration from general themes and a little bit of inspiration taking that morally gray aspect because i I do like the morally gray quandary Thanks, bioware i've been forever scarred by your games and i can never i can never change that And then just reverse engineering the big picture that I had in my head of these armies of half dragons flying in from the the, the secret lab and the frigid reaches and unleashing this army of perfect meta individuals upon the world and ushering in the next phase of perfection and evolution.
0: That's definitely a, a good way to do it. I think you... You to to quote the the fine game smiths who do a lot of card game design uh mm. you you apply a sort of a top down design as it were you have the flavor yes. that you really really appreciate and then you create a character that fills that need mhm yeah i think that's definitely the uh, the easier and more correct way to sort of build characters in this regard i um I think that's. I think it'd be very hard to find an example of a bottom-up design for a big, big-picture NPC. Someone who just like mm-hmm. has the fun. Someone who has like the function, and then you fill in the character sort of around it. I think I sort of did that with the big bad, who has not been revealed yet, with my game within with an ordinary heroes. They have this grand ambition, and they have this like method of doing things. But filling the character in around that was very satisfying because it led to my possibility of just like where their motivations came from and the subterfuge of like how they're going to be revealed with the players is still something they're very much not expecting and I'm very excited to finally feel the lid back on this one individual. But uh, that, that will come in due course.
1: Well, the other way to do that is to take a piece of art that you like, for example, the Empress of the Kairosian Empire. I had art that I wanted to use and it wasn't really fitting with the setting and... So I I took the original empress and I was like, well this 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 woman is like very white, very viking, so I'm going to put her as one of the thanes of of Aldarus in the north, the the Aldarus territory vikings up there. So I was like, but I still need an, an empress. So I found this incredible, I believe it was a, a scrapped League of Legends concept art character and she has kind of very very sort of vague kind of Mina-like armor, but she has this snake whip. And I was like, well, that's perfect because in the Karosian Empire, the three most populous races are humans, Yonti, Tabaxi, and then Minotaurs and Centaurs." So with the Yonti having such a prominent role seeing the snake whip and just the attire uh, and having having her just appear very vaguely uh, as if she could fit into any Mina setting, uh, having having that art and seeing that art just my mind just exploded I was like, okay well, this is the empress and she's been doing this and this is her this is her motivation and this is her personality and she's got that smirk she's confident but diplomatic and a way to do it from the ground up is to simply look at a piece of art and have that inspire your
0: own unique creation that you
1: may or may not have commissioned later by one of your own artists
0: definitely a good way to do it i know that i've taken mm-hmm. a lot of inspiration for creating some player characters and non-player characters from uh fantasy artwork from all over the place and like Mm -hmm. getting that inspiration for anything is still very key and something we as uh storytellers still rely on but it's fun to see that uh it can come from anywhere and it can lead to anything but when it like fits into the world after a little like fine tuning and tweaking it's just very satisfying to finally get it in Mm -hmm. there you know absolutely so we've Seen all the sides to it. There's been a lot of very wow. good uh, discussions of like the little guys. You just focus on their details as opposed to the big guys. You focus on their psychology and like the clear visuals and the intent that you have. And we covered everything in between. We're we're very powerful. We're powerful games, aren't we? I
1: I am more inspired than I was at the start of this conversation to go back and make more NPCs.
0: Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, what's a what's a fresh idea on your on your brain that you want to like? build out on now that we've talked about it. A centaur who is a baker. Baking centaur. That's Yes. That's good. You can get like they can make like the really good wafers. No, they can hear me out here. Like they can make super like thin like like crisps, like tweels almost, just because of how well they roll down their dough because like hooves. Mm. And like and like Mm -hmm. herb and like herb and spice breads because they like grind it down themselves.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't see them in a small kitchen. I see them in I sort saw. of a more rustic outdoor. I, I'm seeing like a stone kiln oven with big giant bread and uh, you know, the, the, the old school big, like you see at a, a brick oven pizzeria and just taking these giant loaves of very well needed uh, and and spices and salted bread. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're going here. And, then their personality of uh, you know, like what would that be? You know, still trying to figure that in. When I hear like more serious when blue I hear collar.
0: like When I hear like ambitious chef like that, yeah. it's really hard not to think of Gordon Ramsay.
1: Yeah. Centaur <laughs> Gordon Ramsay.
0: Like all of the faults You did the bread of... wrong. You did the What are you? You didn't let it rise. <laughs> what are you? An idiot sandwich. Yes you are. Get out of my kitchen. And then the little kid yeah. comes up and they just they just melt into a cinnamon roll. It's all right okay it's so well i love gordon ramsay i have a lot of respect for gordon ramsay but uh i hope that you dear listeners can relate to a lot of our ideas about uh generating the npcs and uh wild and wacky cast and crews for your own games of dungeons and dragons and other Mm -hmm. dtrpgs i hope that we inspired because if we can get inspired by that just by talking about it then i think at the very least we've done a good job by us which is all we could ever ask for so if i can
1: inspire one person just one person i'm happy
0: and i think that's definitely something we could both aim for and we hope that you've been <laughs> inspired dear listener thank you for listening but until next time when we can brief you with our dulcet tones talking more ttrpg goodness essie my good pal where can our dear listeners find you and your workings
1: you can find us on youtube.com slash c for creator forward slash ESP Aaron Spencer Productions on YouTube. We just completed our long running year and a half, almost year and a half long Tomb of Annihilation campaign. We're going to be uploading the videos over time, but towards the end of that run, we started to focus more on our DM Roundtable series, which we did with you. Uh-huh. We did a DM Roundtable with with Adam Ray, the Is It Tinker, which you can check out on that YouTube channel as well, uh, along with Eliza, from World Building Weirdos. She is the owner, operator, DM, GM, server, owner, many, many titles. She is incredible. Go check her out. She's also on TikTok. That's where she got her start. Lots of good character inspiration for all of you there on TikTok. And also with our dear friend Yuki Volkard, who is over in the Ukraine. And our uh, hearts uh, go out to, to them. And you can check out their their YouTube uh, at Loots and Dice, and also there on our YouTube channel and our DM Roundtable. We also just completed a 2022 State of Actual Play that I'm very excited about, also on the YouTube channel. You can also find us on Twitch every other Saturday. Our see, Today is the 20th, so on the, make sure I don't say the wrong date, on the 26th of this month we have session one of our heavens fire campaign which i'm very very excited about lots of hype there and that is streamed at twitch.tv slash esp and twitch.tv slash and that's n as in nitro or like in D beyond and then of course wherever you can find us on social media aaron spencer productions aaron spencer podcast ESPDND any of the above, any search will probably bring us right up for you. So thank you for that opportunity.
0: Is it what you got for the people? I've got a great many spread of contents to share and let the audience know about, but do check out Essie's work. They project and produce a great many things across the wider interwebs for your viewing and listening pleasure. But as for little old me, uh, find me here on this show, The Hostile Takeover, where myself and Essie, and usually myself and Akario talking about the dungeons and dragons or card gaming goodness but for my written work look look no further than the founder and forger of this show FantasticUniverses.com, where i bring my hot takes reviews and interviews about uh, pc gaming card gaming gacha gaming and whatever else takes my fancy even though there are many things that keep me from creating quite as much as i would like your For further reading pleasure look to darknightnews.com where I review many titles a month in and around DC Comics, Batman-flavored things, Catwoman and Suicide Squad are in excellent spots right now, the Apotheosis Studios blog for my takes on further TTRPG goodness, and runeterraccg.com for news and deck guides on the League of Legends card game. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer and you can see my viewing pleasure of PC gaming let's plays on the hostile atmosphere on YouTube and. D let's plays on no ordinary heroes on YouTube. I have made quite a bit of content, and I am glad to have done this another little ingot of verbal goodness with my dear friend Essie of Erin's Productions. Thank you, my again, my good pal.
1: Happy to be here as always.
0: Lovely. Thank you for listening, and until next time, live free and play well.